Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good Friday afternoon. A warm welcome to the call. Wonderful to be here with you. We will be covering 10 stocks plus one stock of the day with my two expert guests all over the course of an hour. So here with me today, we've had in studio Joshua Barker from Macro Capital and joining us remotely, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Good afternoon to you both. Joshua, a bit quieter on the downgrade front this week, mm. but we are motoring toward the end of the financial year, which means reporting season right around the corner. Yeah, yeah, it's come around quick. Um, you know, sort of just happy to sort of lead into the financial year, a lot of tax selling, maybe some opportunities coming up there here and there. So uh, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, bring it on. Claude, you looking for opportunities that could emerge in all this tax loss selling that happens around this time of the year? Yeah, definitely. I think that there are a couple of reasonably high quality businesses that um, have been caught up in the sort of general tech sell off as a result of the rising rates. And then if we see a bit of tax loss selling uh, now at the end of the year, then I'll probably be looking uh, to pick up some shares in uh, those companies in the coming week. Well, we'll see if any of those companies get mentioned in today's program. Maybe just to keep everyone interested, I'll ask for one of those companies from Claude at the end of this piece. All right, let's get to just a bit of a preview. These are the companies we will be discussing in the first half hour of this Friday program. Dalrymple Bay Infrastructure, uh, Magellan Financial Group. We've had a number of viewers writing in about Magellan. Tyro, that's an interesting one. Drop Suite and Neo Metals. But today I chose as the stock of the day, John Ling's group. JLG is the ticker code. City for One has lowered its price target to $6.50 after annual growth fell short of expectations. This uh, share price was hammered yesterday and is getting hit again today. So City trimmed its FY24 and FY25 earnings forecast by 5 and 7%, but uh, does see margin improvements accelerating into FY25. So uh, look, let's start with you, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. I know that this is not the type of company that you're necessarily interested in investing in, but this one's been mentioned on this program quite a bit, usually pretty favorably because it does a lot of those cleanups and the repair work after natural disasters. So it gets steady work from, um, from states, from my understanding, councils as well. So what was in that update yesterday that really took the market by surprise? Well, I think that the thing that surprised people from the update, to answer your specific question, is that the headline is all up the, um, upgrade, 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 and but then the share price went down 8%. And I think some people were just saying, oh, you know, what is going on? It, it, you know, why is it down, basically? Uh, and I think that the reason for that is if you dive into the actual, uh, you know, data table that they've released with their uh, upgrade, it's the upgrade is happening in the uh, catastrophe business. So... Uh, you know, whenever there's a, a flood or a fire or et cetera, they, they get more work from that through their insurer partners. And uh, but the actual uh, 
non-catastrophe business was a downgrade. So there was an upgrade and a de- downgrade. And the quantum of the upgrade was a little bit bigger than the quantum of the downgrade. So that's why overall the company is able to call it an upgrade. But it's about a 4% upgrade to overall total EBITDA. And the, the devil in the detail there is that the commercial construction segment EBITDA is is down from a loss of 10 million to a loss of 15 million, which is not great to see and, and probably goes to the underlying economics of their business. And also they had a Porter Davis bad debt write-off, which I'm sure has people a little bit worried just because uh, obviously the risk in the construction sector, and it's far from just Don, Don Lin's group that uh, suffers this risk, is that if, you are, if your counterparties go under, then, then you can end up holding the bag. So I think that probably brought to the fore some of the risks in their segment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, is this a buying opportunity in your view? If you're a, a, an investor that's interested in John Ling's group, uh, look, I'd say definitely not a buying opportunity. Like, unless you're a super short-term trader looking for some bounce or whatever, I can't predict if there's going to be a bounce. Maybe there will be. Um, but unless you're just some pip trader looking for a bounce, I think there's no possibility that I would call this a buy on the fundamentals. Just because what has happened, if you look at sociologically, I think that that's a very useful framework. Sociological framework, you're looking at what are people saying? What are people thinking? You know, investing is about what do I think this is worth, but it's also about what the other people think it's worth and am I above or below them? And what we had with JLG is uh, in the run-up in the last uh, couple of years, this became a, a super fundy favorite. And I think that the first funds that got on board like maybe three years ago or more, they, they had a perceptive thesis, which is, look, this is a beneficiary of increased catastrophes. So as we have more bushfires, floods, et cetera, et cetera, which is the long-term forecast, then these guys should do well because they're just, they, they are getting that insurance work. But the, uh, the problem is, is that that doesn't mean any price is the right price for this company. And not only did the, it become a fundy favorite, but uh, on top of that, it also become a retail newsletter favorite, getting recommended at a few times, fair different places. And then it just got, you know, these momentum, it happens with all stocks. And, and I think we talk about one last as well, which is one that's definitely in the same nexus where the funds love it um, and retail investors love it. And the momentum of the stock price has just managed to attract momentum traders as well. So everyone loves it and it becomes this sort of flywheel until it doesn't. But JLG is, is what happens on the other side of that, um, where what you had in October last year was the CEO sold $25 million worth of shares at $6.25. And I think that that's really your sign there. Look, the momentum in this is dead. The story was so hyped and so, you know, this well-known. Whilst true, the share price had just fully priced in that story. And so there's nowhere to go. Where's your incremental buyer? Like, fundies love it. Retail loves it. You know, where's your where's your next kick going to come from? Um, you need to have really strong earnings momentum in order for that to happen. And, you know, Obviously, the, the the small upgrade based on the like catastrophe catastrophe business mm-hmm. that, um, yesterday is just not enough. When the share when the P ratio, I beg your pardon, is even if you even if I take the earnings estimates, which I think is about twenty cents, and upgrade that by ten percent to twenty two cents, then it's still on um, about twenty two times earnings. Now. Um, to pick on, I guess, a similar quality business that I own, SRG Global, that's on about 15 times. Adbury, I don't own it, but it's in the construction industry, 13.5 times. Big River Industry, which I admit is probably lower quality company, 
and, and it's also in construction, but it's on nine times earnings. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that just because these ones are cheaper, they're better. Like I'm, I'm not even that bullish SIG, which I, which I own myself. Um, I, I wonder if I got that wrong. But the point is, um, yeah, these businesses, they don't usually trade on 20, 30 times earnings. And that's for good reason. Yeah. You know, basically, they're, they're not the best economics, especially uh, in, as you said at the start of your question, it's not the kind of business I go for. Why is that? Look, at the end, in 1981, at the end of an inflationary period, Buffett made it quite clear that uh, the, the companies that have done best at the end of 10 years of higher inflation are the companies that uh, have an ability to raise prices easily and they have low working capital needs. Yeah. Uh, construction doesn't tick either of those boxes. So while there was a cool narrative going on during the low interest rate time, we're in a higher inflation time now. And this is the kind of business that Buffett tells us does have a harder time. So that to me says you're probably better off buying the one on a low multiple than a high multiple. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Uh, Josh, what do you think? It's got a U.S. growth strategy. Does it deserve justify the multiple that it's trading on? Well, yeah, it's been a little bit of a victim of its own success lately. Um, it's down about 40% from the highs. And uh, because it was in such a strong upgrade cycle for years, um, this recent update was, like I said, missing uh, analyst expectations, but it was upgrading its own guidance. So, you know, clearly the analysts were, were more bullish than even their own company was. Um, but uh, yeah, I think when it reached its highs, it was sort of at a 50, 60 PE at that stage. Um, so yeah, it had accumulated that on the back of those upgrades. Um, it's one that we've paired in the past with an insurer because obviously the two offset each other. Um, insurers have been doing really well on the back of uh, you know higher premiums after uh, a lot of claims and then a lack of claims in the last year or so. So um, JLG sort of suffered and, and done the opposite. Um, I think it is a, a quality company. It's all about, I guess, the price that you pay for it. Probably a little bit too early for us to start to pour into this one, but uh, we do like the construction space. And I think uh, given the consolidation in the industry there's every chance that a big name a strong performing name like jlg picks up market share from these companies going under um so a little bit too early to accumulate for the long term but it is a a good company to have on your watch list um if you're after something right now that makes money right now benefiting from it we'd probably prefer csr um csr are a premium product in the in the space they're going to be you know literally the the bricks and mortar example here um, and they pay about an eight percent yield too so i think that's more something that's going to benefit from the right now uh, and jlg benefit um, over the long term from this okay. construction boost guys thanks that's the stock of the day let's get to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers remember this is information only this is not personal financial advice so this is for tira I think that's how you say the name, and it's Dalrymple Bay. So DBI, Josh, I'll start with you. Um, just looking down at what the brokers have on it. Um, yeah, it's it's um, one of those companies that could be seen, I suppose, as a bit of a diversifier in a portfolio. You know, we've got a um, an ad coming through, a buy from City ad by Morgan's. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I think uh, so. The fact that they're sort of providing those port infrastructure and services for coal companies at the moment is probably something that's still going to be in demand uh, for the next 12 months at the very least. Uh, a lot of their revenues are locked in and the, and the dividend yield on the back of that uh, is locked in. So above market yield here, um, I think we've spoken a little bit about um, their shift as we sort of enter this you know, potential recession, shift away from direct commodities and uh, getting more exposure to the mining 
uh-huh. operations and mining services company. So I think this ticks the boxes. Um, seems like a really strong performer since coming on the market. It's uh, stood on its own, paying a dividend well above the listing price and uh, energy sources are going to be in high demand uh, for the foreseeable future. So um, yeah, I'd have this one as a buy, uh, predominantly for that dividend yield. Interesting. Okay, good. Uh, what about Dharapur Bay in your view? Clyde, are you finding any love for this one? Oh, look, I think probably people that own it are owning it as a dividend stock there. And if you're sort of an income investor and you want to get your uh, your dividend income from a variety of different sources, you know, this is obviously giving you, uh, I guess, exposure to commodity volumes and all else being equal, you know, that should hold up. These guys do have exposure to coal, so maybe long-term volumes may go down depending on how quickly, I guess, uh, China, um, you know, de-emphasizes coal in its energy mix plus also just then the geopolitical relationship between china and australia uh but overall you know i'd say it's a it's a pretty reasonable infrastructure play you got a 7.2 percent yield i just would remind investors that is not franked so you know not like like comparing with something that has a fully franked dividend and i guess uh the analyst forecasts are sort of for modest growth over over the coming years uh, overall, not one for me, uh, even though I don't mind infrastructure plays generally. Um, the, one of the things is like in a higher rate environment, in a higher inflation environment, I guess these things get compared to the yield, the risk-free rate you can get on your term deposit. So as that goes up, the yield of this, these, of this one becomes less attractive relative to you know, what your risk-free term deposit kind of thing is. And then the other thing to keep in mind is, these do, is the, this company does have a lot of debt. $2 billion-ish debt, $1.3 billion debt uh, market cap. Now, the debt maturity is um, uh, something like eight years. So I'm not saying that debt's something to worry about, but what I am saying is all else being equal, if we do have a higher for longer in- environment with interest rates, that will basically hurt hurt uh, Dalrymple Bay. So, you know, we've literally, it's a huge gear change, potentially huge gear change. For the last 10 years, if you took the view that, um, interest rates were lower for longer and bet accordingly, then you were laughing. Uh, and I think the thing that has happened is now clearly, you know, the people that have been generally orientating themselves to that lower for longer um, worldview, which includes myself, you know, we've all got an, a big wrap across the knuckles now as the situation has changed. You know, inflation you know, probably wasn't that transitory. Oh, there's still some people that say you know, it's over now. But I think to me now, the evidence or the thing to prepare for is, you know, we might have a period of high for longer as as being the uh, the winning uh, consideration. So that's my view, and that's why this one's probably not for me. Having said that, I still go back to the fact what I said before of of Buffett's two rules about how to invest in an inflationary environment. Turns out, you know, pricing power and low capital um, needs is is pretty much always a good play mm-hmm. in my point from my point of view. So. That doesn't necessarily, you know, I'm not going to stray from that. And obviously, this is not where I like to play. Yeah. So it's a hold, though, if you if you own it for the dividend. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Thank you. All right. Let's go to the next on the list. Well, this is an interesting one. This is for Tony and many others out there, Magellan Financial Group. Josh. Yeah. I tried my hardest to, to find a turnaround story here, um, but days like yesterday where, where the market got dealt with pretty harshly, um, it was off about 6% on, on the back of those concerns. So they do have a quite large holding in, in big tech in the US, so hopefully their performance has done quite well on the AI rally, um, but I'm not sure if that means that the outflows will stop. So last month they had outflows of half a bill, 
Month before that, 2.4. Uh, month before that, almost 4 billion. Um, tried to go back as far as I could, went back 12 months, they've all had our outflows for the last 12 months. So there's no sign to say that this is turning around just yet. Um, and I just think uh, like if, you, if, you, if you're in it, hopefully it's a very, very small holding um, and you kind of can wait for the, the, the sort of turnaround um, to occur, but not one that we'd be stepping in uh, far too early. Um, we'd prefer something that's getting inflows. Uh, so for example, MA Financial, MAF, mm-hmm. um, they have a lot of credit funds, which you know, Claude was just talking about this high interest rate environment being around for a little bit longer than, than uh, maybe people thought initially. So that's gonna make those assets more attractive. And uh, yeah, they have almost a billion inflows in the last six months um, on the back of the the favoring towards those credit funds from investors. Wonderful. Okay. Avoid Magellan for now. Follow the money, correct, Claude? Yeah, well, exactly. In fund management, as a growth investor, the cardinal rule is you only invest in stuff getting inflows. And honestly, it's not that hard to find. Like they're, they're usually um, just stronger brands. And the thing is, I just think that the uh, Institutional Australia has really had a really tough time um, adjusting to what was once, you know, this amazing brand to understand that the brand damage that has been done. And it's like every update, you know, it's like mass $2.4 billion of outflows in the last update, the majority of those being institutional outflows. You know, how do you say that there's brand value when that's happening? There's not. Like, I don't believe there is. You buy the fund managers that have brand value, they're going to, you're going to see they have brand value because they're going to get flows. Or even if it's a little flows, and even if the flows aren't enough to offset, you know, when the markets come down, sometimes you're going to have a situation where a good fund manager, it's getting money in, but its overall fund goes down. That's fine because you're still saying the brand is there. All brand is everything in fund managing. There's nothing else but brand. It's mm-hmm. only brand. That's the only thing you're measuring. So no, I, I would definitely not be investing in this. Um, definitely not. Absolutely no way. Just It's just off the list completely. I agree with Joshua. Okay. We've got two hard avoids, Tony. Take that and make of it what you will. Let's go to Tyro. So this is uh, our third stock on the list and it's been picked by Gary. Don't have context, Claude, whether or not Gary owns it now, has owned it. So let's approach it from the position, you know, would you buy Tyro now? I wouldn't buy Tyro now. Uh, the the reason is sort of twofold. One is, look, first of all, I do think that there will probably eventually be a, ter- a turnaround play with Tyro because it's definitely a business that's got value. But the thing is, this thing was floated a few years ago, you know, as if it was the best thing since sliced bread. It's just had this massively over-engineered, over, overly large um, cost base, and it's been very, very slow to adjust to any kind of, uh, I guess, any kind of, you know, reawakening, like we saw with zero the other day, you know, just look at that run, $70 share price, 110 last I checked on the basis, and that switched in six months on the basis of a new CEO coming in saying, we're cutting costs, we're cutting employees, we're focusing on free cash flow, off we go. The market loves it. Here, Tyro, absolutely obsessed with telling the market about gross profit and a bit No, just... It's going to be about profit, guys. That's what's going to get things moving. And if you look at their profit, even the normalized profit was $3 million in the last half. Well, they have a pretty big market cap. If they repeated that in the next half, I think it's like 80 times earnings, and this is a big shit. Meantime, you've got Little Smart Pay, which has got 
been on a great momentum. I, my, I for one, this is the, what kills me. I've been looking at Tyro and being like, oh, wow, that's a dumpster fire. And then it's made me miss smart pay, which at the same time has been getting lovely profit growth. And you're just like, they're like chalk and cheese. Now, smart pay is much smaller. I don't have a position. It's had a big run. It might come back. I'm not trying to tell you to buy smart pay. But if, if I wanted exposure to this FPOS processing space, I would go smart pay for sure. Just because the momentum's there, the profit operating leverage at that profit line is coming through. And so I'll take that one over Tyro. And I wouldn't take Tyro until we start to see the shift of focus onto, hey, this is our profit. This is our PE ratio. That's the kind of, that's what you've got to do now. There's, it's, ha- it's happening to all businesses. Like the ones that are holding up better are the ones that have got the profit, mm-hmm. not the ones that are saying, oh, look at our gross profit. You know, it's, you need your statutory profit to come through. So I'd be waiting for that for Tyro. Should you capitulate now if you're holding? That's a much harder question. I think we're probably closer to the bottom, but it's very hard to predict when you're going to get that gear shift from management. Um, and that would that's what concerns me. Yeah. I don't like the I don't like the wait. I prefer to wait until you get that change and then I'll then I'll go in. So the tough one on on whether you'd hold it. Um, it's going to be a pain trade, I reckon, if you're holding it, but maybe it's low enough now because it might just be, it could be six months away mm-hmm. from an improvement if they have a change of strategy. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, unfortunately uh, for holders, uh, similar view. Um, I don't like the way that sort of management have you know, sort of dealt with this entire listing. Um, you know, they had uh, a, a potential buyer come in, yeah. take a look under the hood, um, walk away. So I guess red flag number one. Um, but just in general, you know, this is a company that did one of the largest IPOs on the ASX um, only a few years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, for them to list at you know, $2.75 with a $1.3 billion market cap, sell $250 million worth of shares in that, in that retail IPO offer, um, and then a couple of years come out and look to accept offers when it's below a dollar. Um, I think it's not management backing their own business. It's not management looking after all of the recent shareholders that have come in. So um, I'd be frustrated if I was, uh, I was a holder of this. Um, and for that reason, I'd still look to get out to sell. Use your money elsewhere, yes. Yep, opportunity cost of staying in these things as well. Well, we are not having much luck here. We had one buy for Dalrymple Bay. Let's see if we feel any differently about Drop Suite. DSE, I think that this is for Mark. Uh, just going by memory, uh, Claude, do you hold this one? Yeah, I do. This is one of the few, my much shrunken portfolio, but I do own shares in Drop Suite. I bought reasonably recently, so you, you'll, it'll be one buy from me, and that's Drop Suite. And, and I'll tell you why. Look, this one has been uh, listed for quite some time now. And honestly, when this first listed, I think five, six years ago, I was extremely skeptical. And the reason for that is because unlike, so what they do is they do software that basically automatically backs up an organization's, um, you know, basically cloud information. So that might be going alongside uh, Microsoft 365. You have a process where it's basically backing up all your emails, everything that's being stored on, on OneDrive. And basically in a scenario where you do get cyber attacked and, and owned by some Russians and they're like, you know, give us a million Bitcoin or whatever, then you can just be like, well, you know, it's a pity that you've you've owned us, but we just have a backup of everything. So you can't lock us out and, and, and you can just click sort of restore. And the reason that, you know, back in the day, I was quite skeptical of this is that, and it's a beautiful, you see that five year chart because you can see where it dropped down. 
And the reason it dropped down is because it lost a major reselling partner. So unlike my favorite kind of software companies that it's just like they're selling their software, they control the whole process and that's how they get the really high margins. These guys have to share their margin with uh, managed service partners. So the real customer isn't the end user. It's actually the managed service partner who is the person that's like, say, installing and implementing Office 365. They upsell the DropSuite product to their customers. So DropSuite is sort of not really serving the end customer. And that means that they do lose a little bit of power to these MSPs. Um, and when they lose an MSP, they can lose a bunch of revenue just because that MSP tries to, decides to go with another competitor. Now, whilst that did hit them hard when they lost a large MSP a few years ago, they've actually really done a good job diversifying. So there's not, no longer is there there's such a risk that they can lose one MSP. Mm-hmm. And measured by the revenue generated uh, by their MSPs, now their churn is very low. So even though they, this can happen and it did happen to them, they have much lower churn now, 3% at the last update that they said at the AGM. So that's that's quite low churn and, and that's generally a good sign. And uh, on top of that, they're at the profitability inflection point. So now if you look at their um, presentation, you're going to see they're going to say that they're going to be a bit the positive in FY2023. Yeah. But I asked the CEO, are you also NPAT positive? So proper statutory profit. And he said, yes. So that means that uh, it really is like they got 20 million cash. They're profitable now. They're not facing this loss-making funding risk that we've seen hit so hard so many tech companies. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's a low PE ratio because it's just crossing over to that profit. So as a holder, what I'm hoping for now is I want to see that strong revenue growth continue. and I want to see the, the cost grow slower. And so the operating falls down and then... But the thesis is because of the revenue growth, they're forecasting like 40% revenue growth, even if it drops from there, as long as they can hold their costs you know, relatively low, we should see very strong profit growth, admittedly off a, off a low base. Yeah. So with a, with a bit of luck in two, three years, we're looking at this and I'm saying, oh, look at this, you know, 50, 60, 70% profit growth. Yeah, sure, it won't be sustained, but it's going to really catch people's eye when it starts to get that really strong profit growth should that thesis prove correct. All right, uh, profitable tech, is it enticing for you, Josh? Uh, it's a little bit further down the market cap that we'd usually go with these types of businesses. Um, you know, in, in this space, um, we prefer the bigger names like a zero that has successfully done that um, switch to profitability. But um, yeah, it looks, it looks like these guys have, have done that quite well with their revenue still growing. Um, obviously, uh, PE needs a lot of catch up to do. It's at 133 at the moment, but uh, I guess provided that they can keep their costs low. And Claude sounds like he's uh, done a fair bit of due diligence on their on their uh, expenses anyway. So yeah, if they can do that, then uh, hopefully the valuation should start to catch up. Looks quite attractive uh, on the charts as well. So I'd just leave this one as a hold for us anyway. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Not going to the investment committee. That's okay. Let's go to the uh, number five on the list, excuse me, which is Neo Metals, NMT. Excuse me, is the ticker code. This is for Andrew. He says they're on the brink of a Mercedes-Benz partnership and will hopefully start making money out of the plants that they've built. They have patents pending and there doesn't seem to be much competition in the battery recycling industry. So it sounds as if Andrew's done a bit of his research on mm. the company. Um, you know, battery recycling is going to be huge, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but again, this is a company that's sort of operating in an area that is is new. Yeah. Um, it's got global reach though. Um, is it something that you would be putting money into now? 
Yeah, look, it's it's starting to get, uh, I guess, catch our eye. Um, it does does some really attractive things like that battery recycling. We think over a very very long term play is going to be something that the demand will have to catch up. Um, Lithium ion batteries typically only last about six to seven years. Yeah. Um, whereas the other segment that they're doing at the moment is actually vanadium development. Um, so we're starting to uh, dip our toes into vanadium. We're actually looking at an explorer here in Australia um, that will be the first producer of vanadium. QEM is the ticket code for that one. Uh, really interesting space and, and they're more so doing the development because 75% of the vanadium side of uh, the, the supply side comes from uh, Russia and China. They're also the largest demanders. So they're basically creating it and using it themselves. Um, these guys are trying to target the development in Europe, uh, whereas we're sort of targeting more the development in Australia because vanadium is an Australian, uh, the vanadium battery is uh, initially commercialized as, as an Australian product. Oh, really? Um, yep, it was created. Yeah, it was a really interesting story. It was um, first uh, looked at by NASA in the 70s, and then uh, Maria from uh, UNSW and her team uh, developed a vanadium battery, which was then patented off to a Japanese company. Um, it wasn't commercial back in the 80s, so they didn't really get too much traction. Um, it's still running, so the vanadium batteries last over 30 years. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, really interesting space you know it really um, became a lot more attractive when Elon Musk sort of you know put the uh, idea in people's mind that you can build a very large battery with the, the South Australian stuff so uh, it's kind of picking up some traction in the background um, you can't use them in the cars because they're very heavy uh, and, and very large in size uh, but they're great for sort of the, the, the grid powered stuff um, they can also charge all the way down and all the way up which a lithium-ion battery has restrictions there uh, and again that, that uh, need for recycling so um, yeah we're starting to dip our toes into, into vanadium we think it's going to be a big area um, and uh, you know why not support a great Aussie invention again yeah right so would you be buying Neometals I know you said QEM yeah look we're buying QEM at the moment uh -huh. um, and I think uh, this company can go on the watch list uh, again it's very early stage before it gets to those gets to those levels but um, yeah definitely start to dip your time into it if you're holding it you're holding it for the long term. It's had a very meteoric rise and, and fall, uh, but mm -hmm. uh, it seems like a great little business anyway, targeting uh, you know areas that were uh, appealing in the future. Got it. Neil Metals, Claude, what do you think? Uh, I, look, I suppose it's just a different approach. Look, th this one might be bigger than Drop Suite, but uh, I just think that uh, its business is so much less developed. It's actually so much riskier uh, because it's still... It's still uh, capital intensive business that is losing money. And if you look at the most recent quarterly, the, the, the cash outflow is about 9 million and these guys have about 32 million in cash remaining. So it's about three quarters. So I suppose there's different ways to look at risk. Some people consider more market cap and, and liquidity. Whereas I'm just, if you're looking at the business funding needs, to me, this one is probably more risky and too risky for me, just because it will need to raise capital gain. Now, Look, it has got, um, you know, all these assets and it's got uh, mining. It's got this sort of plan for the titanium market and that sort of thing. So it does a bunch of different things. Vanadium, as uh, Joshua was talking about, lithium-ion battery recycling, um, upstream mineral extraction. Uh, that's the titanium. 
And so it's possible one of these assets that turns out to be like really quite strategic. And so I would see a path to success where, you know, they develop one of these assets enough and then they get a big takeover off of it or something like that. But that seems like, you know, if that doesn't happen, I think it's just going to be a slow burn downwards uh, just because it's not a sustainable business. And that's the key thing for me is like most of the time, you know, I do invest in loss making companies from time to time, but I always want to be able to see that exact path to profitability. Otherwise, it can just be like a time is your enemy rather than your friend. And so for that reason, uh, I would I would actually avoid this one. And, and even though, you know, I definitely think that there's some futuristic stuff there. Um, to me, I just would just I just avoid it because it's just too risky for me. Mm. OK, great, guys. Thank you. We are now at the halfway mark, so I'm going to sum up what we've learned so far briefly. John Ling's group, which was the stock of the day, it is um, expensive for what it is, according to Claude. He would not see the sell-off that we've seen recently as a buying opportunity. It's too early as well for the team at Macro. Uh, Josh says it's a bit of a victim of its own success quality company, but they wouldn't be buying it now. Dorimple Bay, it is a buy from the team at Macro, and it's for yield. It's a strong performer and just sees, you know, energy and what it's being and facilitating, you know, really being in high demand for the coming years. It's a hold though for Claude because most people would be in it because of the yield, which is pretty good. Both of my guests would avoid Magellan. Where's the brand value questions? Claude and Tyro, Tyro's a sell for Josh Barker from Macro because it's just been a shocker, you know, since it listed just losing so much shareholder value. Uh, and it's a no for Claude as well. He says, one day there will be a turnaround, but for now it's a pain trade. Drop Suite is a buy for Claude. He really likes this company. He sees it as you know, the profitability, good balance sheet, and improving its churn. Uh, it's a hold for Josh if you're in it, but he wouldn't be buying it. He uh, would prefer to be in the bigger end of town, something like a zero. And Neo Metals, watch this material for Josh. Uh, Claude wants to see the path to profitability, really key for these companies that are uh, you know, doing something new. All right, so that brings us to our portfolio. Let's take a look-see, find out how we're performing. Um, so heading into June, we saw South 32 replaced by Altium, Woodside removed. We did buy some CSL, Linus and West Farmers though. Elders also removed. Oh, Nathan must have been gutted about that one. Uh, it's waiting with split between the newly added Avita Medical and RPM Global. Here's how the fund's performing. Uh, yeah, losing a bit of ground, so up by six and a quarter percent since its inception. All right, let's uh, let's continue on with the program. I will though just give a, a bit of a shout out that's come for you, Josh, from one of our regular viewers saying that your call to sell Accent Group was bang <laughs> on. So that was made, I think, on the 28th, something like that, of yeah. April. It was pretty doomsday on the whole retail uh, yeah. recession area. And uh, I guess, it's unfortunately, for some people played yeah. out. Yeah. 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 yeah, although I did note that LaVisa is one of the better performers today because, again, we keep having these conversations as when do you buy some mm. of these quality retailers. So anyways, props for you from one of our regular viewers. <laughs> Appreciate it. Okay, so let's get to the company's pure hydrogen will be discussed. Structural monitoring systems, don't know that one. IPD, which the ticker code is actually IPG, and it's not IDP education. It's really confusing. Silver Lake Resources, SLR, and Matter Group, uh, MAD. So let's go to the first on the list. This has been picked by Andrew Pure Hydrogen. So, oh, this is sort of a continuation, I think, from Neo Metals because he's got a 
Uh, small holding, okay, so this would have been interesting information to have for the break anyways. Uh, both interesting sectors, he says, small holdings in both. Pure hydrogen, again, lots of hopes, Claude, that hydrogen will answer some of our energy needs, but uh, a long ways away. What do you make of PH2 as the ticker code? Uh, yeah, so I I, um, I had a, I have a soft spot for Andrew, I think it was, that you said, uh, who, who is investing in these sort of future-facing, uh, forward-looking companies, because that's actually how probably almost 15 years ago now, that's how I started investing. And what the problem with it is, is that when you're starting out and you can be like really attracted to these sort of cool ideas that you think are part of the future and they're part of the solutions for the problems we have today. Uh, the problem is the actual companies that um, are putting forward these ideas having no revenue and more just, I guess, idea companies than actual sort of profitable companies that um, can sustain, sustain themselves indefinitely. The problem is these are like the most highest risk companies in the ASX. And the funny thing is, is when I started investing, it was in early, like, you know, basically the end of the GFC. So it was lucky timing and I'm slotting money into all of these high risk idea stocks. And just like we saw with pure hydrogen and neometals a couple of years ago, you saw this huge ramp in this high risk stuff as we came out of the GFC. Well, that's what we saw a couple of years ago as interest rates dropped to zero. You know, all of these idea stocks are going to the moon. And you're having a great time because you're like, yeah, I bought shares in this, you know, forward looking tech company. It doesn't have any revenue. It's not really proven business, but the share price is going up. I'm making money. Also, the world's, you know, if they succeed, the world becomes a better place. Uh, it feels really fun and great. But the problem is with the capital cycle has turned and it will turn. And, and those things that were hyped up, it can't, it doesn't go on forever. And now we're at the stage where companies like Pure Hydrogen have to, um, have to go ahead and actually prove that that they can make a profit and that they can be sustainable. And, you know, pure hydrogen, look, I couldn't hope more that they succeed. But, you know, their recent success is that the company H2X that they have a 20% holding in has um, has won the right to supply, I think it's like 30 or 40, 37 trucks or something like that, hydrogen trucks. Now, I hope this succeeds, but the chances of this kind of thing, and this is only in 20% of it, the chance of this becoming a, a sustainable, profitable business is very low. It's a long way off. There'll be many more companies that die than succeed. Now, the, the share price could go up and down because the share price isn't going to, doesn't always just reflect profit. It reflects, you know, the sentiment and the story and how many people want to buy that story. But what we're seeing is like, you know, as people have less money, the stock markets was assisted by, the, you know, JobKeeper, everyone's going on Reddit and punting stocks, et cetera, et cetera. That was pushing up all these speculative, speculative stocks. Now we have more of a capital grip capital drought for these kind of businesses so i think it's a very tough time to own it so whilst i absolutely understand and completely have a soft spot for investing in these kind of yep. idea stocks i don't do it and I, I don't think other people should do it basically i don't think it's a path to making money yep. i think you get in the long term you lose more than you make okay even if you get an occasional win got it josh would you be buying pure hydrogen I uh, wouldn't be buying it at the moment, but um, I think I think if uh, Andrew's holding both of these companies and he sort of understands the risks, um, Claude's bang on. This is the sort of high risk end of the market for sure. Uh, however, 
I guess there are going to be winners out of it. And it's not to say that they're all going to be winners by, by any means, but uh, you know, you want to be positioning yourselves in, in those future winners. And if I think you, you know, you sort of back yourself in uh, identifying those ones, um, you know, this could be definitely a company that uh, if it's around in, in five to 10 years, could be extremely uh, fruitful for investors. Um, getting in at the, at the ground level of, of what's a new energy technology, we know is gonna do quite well. Uh, the way that we're probably playing this sort of transition to EV, if you will, uh, is at the top end of the market and the bottom end of the market. So buying the big blue chips uh, that are making money quite well now, um, but also trying to identify really quality small companies that are going to be a part of uh, you know the next next market cycle. So um, hydrogen, whether it's this company um, PH2 or it's something like a Hazer, um, you know, will de could could definitely be a part of it. And um, you know, they are very uh, far from you know those earnings and revenues and and really being self-sustaining businesses, but. The risk is that the capital markets dry up, as, as I guess we've seen. Um, capital markets for these types of businesses have not dried up. Um, you know, fundies are getting exposure to institutions, uh, you know, still working, uh, you know, still, still doing large placements, uh, large IPOs on those EV plays uh, and those future energy plays. So I think, uh, yeah, if, 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 that does, if that does continue, uh, then these guys will survive. Um, and uh, yeah, they'll be well positioned for the next market cycle mm. that takes advantage of all these thematics. Interesting. All right, but that's an avoid for now. It's a no from both of my guests. Let's get to the next company, Structural Monitoring System. So I didn't know a lot about this. I just went to the website, so I still don't know a lot about the financials. That's what we've got our expert guests for. But this is, it's, it's got some sort of proprietary technology, so novel technology that allows it to, um, to detect structural cracks, uh, weaknesses. It's some sort of a sensor. Um, I don't know exactly where it's being used in, whether it's primarily buildings, but uh, Claude, can you shed any light on that for us? Yeah, so it's basically trying to sell to uh, airlines to install these um, sensors that will improve airline safety by basically identifying, monitoring any cracks or weaknesses in the fuselage or the wings or the, any part of the plane uh, as a result of, you know, continued use and stress and stuff. So. It's a safety thing. It's been a really, they've been listed for a really long time now. Uh, perhaps, I don't know, 10 years or something. I, and, I, and because they're a little small cap, uh, I guess, tech company, I've, I've always kept an eye on them. And I look, I do think they have made gradual process over that time. So I guess there's like one thing that, one reason to put it on your watch list. The, um, the main reason that I would uh, actually keep now, and it does have revenue as well, by the way. So it has sort of proved up its, its uh, product and even in the last quarter, I think it made the mild operating cash flow positive. So, but it's not positive. You know, one quarter doesn't doesn't get you to profitability for the full year. Over the nine months, they were still operating cash flow negative. Um, but the reason that I w actually would would actually say I would not buy this. In fact, I'd probably even sell it. Is because it has a very and not that I think it's a terrible company. I I think you know it's, we're talking about some companies that are very futuristic. This one's got a real product. And it's got real revenues. But the problem is it's not profitable. It has about 2.5 million in cash. And if you include um, equipment lease financing, it has about 8.7 million in debt. And I have a rule of thumb, which I basically never, ever break because you see 
because it avoids some of the biggest things that can blow up, uh-huh. which is I don't buy companies or own companies that are loss making and have debt. Debt is fine, but I like to see the profit to pay that off already. So for that reason, I would not buy this one. Okay. I don't, I'd honestly probably sell it. Yeah, okay. Would you buy holder sales structural monitoring systems? Yeah, a few red flags that I came across as well. Um, so it would be a strong avoid. Um, look, they've you know sort of been revenues have been flat for for a number of years. Uh, they're still negative earnings, um, but they were suspended back in March due to a listing rule seventeen point five from the ASX, basically failure to provide documentation. They were back online in a couple of weeks. I'm sure it's fine, but uh, do have concerns about them just sort of keeping up to date their uh, listing requirements, which can be quite dangerous um, you know you can be involved in a nice sign this or any company can really go unlisted the next day and unfortunately can be very difficult to get your money back out of that company uh, there's also legal claims going on for royalties over their products as well so they've got some legal disputes going on right now um, and I guess all those things combined that's enough uh, smoke signals for me to say avoid um, and yeah no need to sort of look further into the company unfortunately yeah. okay got it thank you let's go to IPD Group, uh, IPG is the ticker code. So this one has come up a couple of times on the program going by memory. This is for Jürgen. He says they're having a great run. Want to know if it's in, worth investing in them for a long-term pick. So this is essentially electrical. You know, these are obviously not just in homes, but, mm. you know, big project electrical um, providers. So what do you think? Um, do you like the exposure that it has in supplying this infrastructure to to bigger businesses? Yeah, I'm liking these sort of names at the moment. Um, you know, we, we got involved in a company that actually came up on the call, um, the Duratech position. Mm-hmm. Got a few clients with similar sort of businesses as this where they're basically getting exposure to sort of that engineering and uh, infrastructure plays. And they're just really quite sound businesses that are very tightly held amongst the management board so this one you know 40 percent of the company is is held by board management and employees so uh, they're very tightly held they're very thin on the the sell side and they tend to just grind higher Um, so you know it's really a question of uh, what's the reason to sell and I guess if you're comfortable being in the business and there's no reason to sell uh, then it becomes a bite (laughs) yeah you can see that and that's that's a good example of the where low liquidity on a really uh, positive business that's tightly held amongst management. Works yeah, like really you'd find well. it difficult to get into this. It's up 100% in the last six months. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we definitely find it difficult. And I guess given the, the, the movement that it's had, but uh, yeah, if it, if it can sustain this, then uh, yeah, really quality business. So I'd have it as a hold for now, just due to the elevation, yeah. but yeah, try to accumulate it on any price point you can. What do you think, Claude? IPD Group? Oh yeah, I think this is a this is a good business. Uh, it's one we cover. So uh, any any viewers interested in that, uh, back in December last year, actually, we published an article, Is IPD Group a Small Cap with Large Potential? And, you know, the share price is up more than 30% since that article. And obviously the article was saying yes, you know, suggesting yes, it is very interesting. Now, there are multiple reasons it's interesting. I've covered it from a few different angles. Uh, basically, probably the, the thematic angle, look, we're talking about how JLG run this really lovely share price because of this great thematic about catastrophe repairs. Well, the great thematic that could sort of take hold of the narrative on this one is I think it really positions, uh, it it really is positioned to benefit from the increasing electrification of society. 
the more we have, you know, uh, solar panels everywhere, we can put them and all that kind of thing, uh, the better for these guys because they're in the distribution business of uh, a lot of these like wholesale electrical supplies. So they're going to, they're like business to business. They're going to be supplying um, the people. They're taking it from the manufacturers and they actually have some manufacturing capacity themselves and then selling them to the installers that are doing that kind of work. Now, on top of that, I also quite like distributors generally as a model. Now, distributors do actually have a tough time in inflation. And we talked about how that might be a consideration against this kind of business. But the good thing about distribution, if we just put aside um, the concern about inflation and them being mm -hmm. capital intensive, the good thing about them is that as that distribution networks grow, you, you build your competitive advantage, right? If you're a really big distribution network, you can get more products to more places quicker. And the bigger you get, the harder it is for a new competitor to pop their head up and compete with your speed, range, and price because you have the benefits of scale. So as you get bigger, you increase your moat. And it's not the best moat in the world, but it is a moat. Yeah. So that's why I like distribution companies. Now, if you look at the most recent update and then you apply a 30% tax rate to the low end of their mm -hmm. EBIT guidance, it's only on about 22 times earnings, which is not insanely high. In fact, it's the same as um, you know, John Lynn's group, yeah. except but I would argue it's a better, better stock. So for me, I think, look, I don't own it myself. I haven't. I, I did actually buy it for a while and, and held it. And then I made the terrible mistake of selling it. Um, it's just continued higher. And I, I definitely regret. I didn't have any strong conviction against it when I sold it. Mm -hmm. It was more just trying to uh, streamline my portfolio. So it was yeah. never, I was never bearish. And I think that if anything, it's a buy, but it's, I certainly would not recommend following me out the door. I think you want to hold on this at least until the momentum turns. Absolutely, you can enjoy the ride. You've got a long-term tailwind in favor of you. You've got um, yep. a not insane valuation. And yeah, just maybe some risks around inflation starting to bite at some point. Okay, thanks. Silver Lake Resources, let's keep this one quick. Uh, Claude, from you, would you be buying, holding or selling? I think that a gold miner is always a good one for me to be quick on. Obviously, I, I think that I can definitely defer to jo Joshua on this one. I'm sure he has a better thing to say about it. For me, I would say I, I wouldn't have confidence to have a view on this. Uh, so I'll call it a hold. Uh, basically, obviously, gold price is going to be uh, a big factor in its success from here. And overall, I'd be sort of vaguely positive on the gold price. Yeah. All right. Thanks. What do you think, Josh? Silver Lake Resources. Um, yeah, look, uh, doesn't seem to be one of the more attractive gold names. Um, we prefer, typically we've preferred Gold Road Resources from a growth point of view, but uh, mind you, that's had a, a bit of a shocker update yesterday and yeah. selling pressures continued. So, um, and it was, it was coming off all time highs, I guess as well, but we preferred Regis Resources on a uh, sort of relative valuation point of view and dividend view. Um, I'm not ecstatic about the price of gold, but again, it'll prove me wrong if it stays at 2000 for a prolonged yeah. period. They'll make money. Um, however, with Silver Lake, um, yeah, look, they're selling their gold at, at great prices at sort of like $2,000, uh, 2700 Australian, sorry. Um, but their all-in sustaining costs are around 2000 uh, So they're not exactly making huge margins off uh, the gold price being at those extremely elevated levels. So mm -hmm. um, I definitely prefer a gold a company that has more elevated margins. And, um, you know, uh, it's a gold company with silver in the name, so don't, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't bother. <laughs> Got it. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the last on the list. This is Matter Group. MAD is the ticker code. We were just chatting about this the other day, weren't we, Claude? 
Yes, yes. So, look, Matter Group, I definitely think it's, it's a well-run company. You've got large insider ownership. It ticks a lot of the boxes that I look for as an investor. Uh, as, as I was saying to you the other day, uh, there's always this possibility that uh, as the company itself uh, grows and if we see the chairman or, or the founder sell down a little bit, it starts getting included in indices. So for that reason, look, I think you can definitely make a case it's run a little high in terms of the share price, pretty high PE ratio for an industrial services company. But at the same time, its growth has matched up with that. So similar to IPG um, or IPG Group, I would say, look, this is, a, this is a hold at worst. If anything, I would not even be that opposed to a nibble. I just a little bit of a caution around Probably more so with Matter Group, a little bit more of a caution around um, the the price you're paying mm-hmm. might be a little bit high. So I'm going to go with hold for Matter Group, but definitely I think in terms of this space, you know, management have done such a good job. It's so rare to see a founder still own so much of this kind of company after so long. Uh, and I think that they have a good strategy and, and also they're more in maintenance. I think the question I asked, is it less difficult than other things in, in the resources kind of industrial services space and i believe the answer to that is yes but it probably is still somewhat cyclical but i definitely do agree it's less cyclical i see no reason to get off now but the the valuation would probably keep me away from buying yeah you know every once in a while i see a chart that uh, indicates when it ipo'd and i think why did i not (laughs) anyway josh would you be buying matter group today uh wouldn't be buying it today but um yeah again it's, it's had a great run similar profile to the last uh, last company we spoke about so um yeah look it's had a really good run their, their profits uh sorry their, their revenues are up over like 50 percent. so it's uh experiencing a, a good growth period um and the share price is definitely reflecting that so uh might be a good opportunity to take some off uh, you can only have so many of these companies in in your portfolio um and we'd actually prefer the Duratech exposure at, at these levels anyway Okay, Mm -hmm. thank you. That's uh, a trim actually coming from Josh. If you've made some money on it, hold hold from Claude. Claude, I was just going to question with that notice. E-Road, E-Road's had a takeover offer coming through from a Canadian entity. What do you make of it? It's for $1.30 per share. I know that we've talked about E-Road plenty in the past. Yeah, look, it doesn't surprise me to see a takeover offer from Constellation Software of all companies, uh, just because the price had just got crazily, like really insanely low. But I just think the overall story with E-Road is that it's, you know, I sold it I sold it at a loss and the price I sold it at is still a lot higher than where it is right now. So, you know, this has just been an incredible disappointment. The management uh, team just have done a terrible job on delivering on expectations or, or the board, I should say, since the, the management team did change over. So, yeah, overall, I think it's just one of those sad stories of a, of a takeover. But as, as Luke was saying the other day, you know, I think that E-Road isn't the only quite good tech company that's just gotten massively oversold, even though it's had its problems. So I think, you know, there's an absolute theme in tech at the moment. You're seeing these takeovers here, there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. And at least that at least that says to me that we might be getting near the bottom of the cycle there in all those tech stocks. Yeah. Are you adding any growth to portfolios in any significant way, Josh? I mean, these, um, these tech names? No, not particularly. Like we've got some, we've got some zero and stuff, mm. and some real estate dot com that we've we, we've had on our radar for a while. Um, just more interested in accumulating the market at the moment. Um, I think that uh, you know it's a decent decent start uh, point to start scaling in, uh, leading into the end of the financial year. 
They're on sale at the moment. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try to pick up as much as what we can. All right, cool. All right, let's just run through what we've learned. Pure hydrogen, it's a no from both of my guests. It's early days in the hydrogen theme. Um, look, Josh and the team just stick to the bigger end of the market. Claude likes your thinking, but yeah, he just wouldn't be buying it. Too risky. Structural monitoring systems, it's a sell for Claude. Too in debt, loss making, not a good combo. It's a strong avoid for Josh. Just some red flags there. It's a hold for IDP Group from Claude. You know, great business, great business in Josh's view as well, but very tightly held Pretty XE here as well. Silver Lake Resources, Josh would prefer Regis. It's a hold. Claude doesn't invest in miners. And Matter Group, it is, you know, even a nibble for Claude. He's just a bit concerned about the price. Definitely a hold. And it's maybe a trim for, for Josh. You know, if you've made money, um, until you sell, you don't crystallize those gains. He prefers Juratech in that space, which you mentioned a couple of times. All right, that brings us to the end of the program on this Friday afternoon. It was wonderful to have you along for the ride, Claude. Thanks so much. I hope you do have a good weekend. Thanks for having me and have a good weekend, everybody. And Josh Barker from Macro Capital. Nice to see you in studio. We'll see you soon, okay? And for all of you out there, I hope you're enjoying your Friday. If you would like us to cover a company, go to ausbiz.co forward slash call picks, or you can tweet to us, ausbiztv. I'm also on Twitter, just my name, full name, at Nadine Blaney. All right, stay with us. Andrew's going to take you through the pulse next.